Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, everybody. We have a really great one today. You know, for a change. I'm very excited about Malcolm Nance. You know Malcolm from MSNBC, and he's the first one to say the Russians were hacking us, and very excited to have him. But before we go to Malcolm, I just want to talk about Roger Stone. Uh, you've heard Norm Ornstein on, on this podcast. Norm wrote this a while ago, uh, talking about Joe Biden. Joe had just suffered an unspeakable tragedy, losing his wife and young child in a horrible auto accident. Decades later, when I lost my son, Joe, then VP, was extraordinarily warm and wonderful to me, my wife and my son Danny. Bo, a wonderful young man, died months later. I wrote about that, about how nothing is more soul-shattering than losing a child, how the Biden family had suffered more than anyone deserved. What a fine family it is. Roger Stone replied that the Bidens had not suffered enough that Bo should have suffered more. That is uh, Donald Trump's friend, Roger Stone. It's hard to believe that that would be anybody's friend, except, of course, Donald Trump. And now what's happened with Trump and uh, Roger Stone is Roger Stone... <laughs> Is guilty, has been convicted of several crimes, including lying to Congress and witness tampering. <laughs> and the guidelines say seven to nine years. Donald Trump says this is an outrage, this is a travesty, this is a good man. Yeah, right. So Bill Barr goes to the prosecutors and says, yeah, you got to ask for a lower, lower sentence. So they do. And the president tweets about it again. So finally, Bill Barr finally says, you know what? Uh, the president uh, tweeting this is not is not helpful to me. It makes it hard to run from the Justice Department. And what he's basically saying is, look, just tell me. Don't tweet it, you idiot. He doesn't say you idiot. That's always implied when you're talking to the president of the United States. You know, just tell me to do it. I'll do it. Just don't broadcast it. Just don't tell everyone that we're doing that. You idiot. And that's silent again. That brings me to Susan Collins. I'm going to acquit because the president will now have learned his lesson and won't act like that. Are you kidding me? And then the day after she says that, which is the day before the vote in the trial. He says, lesson? There's no lesson. I, that conversation was perfect. My phone call was perfect. 
He says, the only lesson I've learned from this is that Susan Collins will let me get away with anything. That's my lesson. So what does she do the next day? Does she say, well, okay, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> I think I'll vote to convict. Because, you know, we know what he did. He shook down a foreign leader, withheld hundreds of millions of dollars while they're at war, while their people were getting killed in order to get him to interfere in our elections. That's kind of serious. That's about as serious as you can get, I think, isn't it? I don't I, you know, I guess there's other stuff you can imagine. But that's about as serious as you get. Getting a foreign country to interfere in our election and jeopardize their security and our security, by the way. But no, what does Susan Collins do after he says, lesson, what lesson? She votes to acquit. I hope the people of Maine were paying attention to this. I really do. And if you're listening, you don't even have to be in Maine listening to this. You've got money. She's got an opponent. And there's a long way to the election. You can give weekly. And come on. Do you need eight lattes this week? Imagine you only need three. Four lotties a week to uh, defeat Susan Collins. Or if you have more money, 100 lattes a week. Or for those incredibly wealthy listeners, a million lattes a week. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, he has uh, uh, Vindman walked out of the White House, walked out of the executive office building, pretty much frog-marched, pretty much. Okay, (sighs) the guy testified against you before Congress. I can see that you don't want to see his face. I mean, I know everyone says what he did was wrong, and it was, but as things that he's done wrong, having Vindman... Say, I don't I just don't want to see him around campus. I just don't. I understand that. But the twin? The twin? That's Stalin. That's Stalin going after the family. Now I know he could say, well, the twin looks exactly like him. It'd be the same as seeing him. And I could go like I know, but it's Stalin. You can't be Stalin. And by the way, let me make a point about this. A friend of mine is a commentator on MSNBC, and I won't say his name because this is about him getting in a little bit of trouble. He used Goebbels. He used Goebbels. And he got in trouble. I said, you can't say Goebbels. Goebbels is Nazis. Goebbels is Hitler. It's the same thing as that. You have to say Stalin. Come on. You're Jewish. Oh, now I'm giving him away. Oh, no, that doesn't really give that much away. Anyway, so... The point is, is you can't say this is like Goebbels, even if it is, even if it is in a certain way. It's, you got to say it's like Stalin. It's Stalin. And that was mass murder, too. Maybe as many, if not more, but, you know, who's counting? The point is, it's just getting like Stalin, is what I'm saying. And we're, we're looking at... so. Well, he's learned his lesson <laughs> going forward. Yeah, he learned his lesson that he can get away with anything, Susan Collins. And guess what? He can, but you can't. You can't. 
you can't. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Uh, with me is uh, Malcolm Nance. I'm so just thrilled to have him. I've been wanting to get uh, Malcolm on for a long time, and we have a lot to talk about. Uh, Malcolm, I think you might know, as an MSNBC contributor. He's also he's had uh, something of a, of a career in intelligence, right? Yeah, that's what they say. 36 years. Uh, <laughs> in and out, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, that's Navy intelligence? Well, naval intelligence, yes, and then an intelligence contractor after that. Okay. So your latest is The Plot to Betray America. And this, again, is part of the trilogy, The Plot to Hack America, mm-hmm. which came out before the 16 election. Six weeks. And you said the Russians are hacking us. Yeah. In late July, two days before Donald Trump confessed to the world, uh, that he that he was receiving Russian information or wanted Russia to work in his benefit, as the Mueller report put it. Uh, I went on air and that was, was a joke. It wasn't a joke. No, okay, he, but he sincerely wanted that done. He was kidding uh, on the square. He says it. Yeah, kidding on the square. So you know, when I heard that statement, I, I realized immediately he had meant it. But two days before that, I went on air at MSNBC and I had asked. We had been asking for a couple of days. Uh, I had pretty much figured out that this was not just a hacking of the DNC. Everybody had suspicions, uh, but to me, it was a Russian intelligence operation, and I already knew it was an intelligence operation as of the, you know late April. How, Be- how did you know that? Because the book before Plot to Hack America was a book I had written, uh, co-authored with a guy, my, my, my friend Chris Sampson, called Hacking ISIS. And we had done a full-scale study of all ISIS's uh, cyber warfare capabilities, their media, why they were on social media, all of that. But while we were there, we found that there were two hackings done in Europe. 
one of TV5 TV in Paris and the other of the Warsaw Stock Exchange that appeared to have been done by ISIS. And they came out, you know, took the web page, wrote ISIS graffiti, left, you know, Islamic State flags all over the place. But they also hacked into the databases and had managed to clean out the databases. Um, and uh, the, the famous author Fred Kaplan, who wrote a book called Dark Territory, The History of Cyber Warfare, also had some examples of where the Russians had done this very thing to the Department of Defense and the White House. So while we were researching that book, we learned that the Department of Defense, NSA, and other agencies had assessed that those two ISIS hackings were not carried out by ISIS. They were real false flag operations carried out by ATP-28 and ATP-29, Advanced Persistent Threat 28 and 29, also known, nicknamed as Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear. That was two years before the DNC hacking. So we knew that the Russian intelligence agencies, you know, their version of NSA, their version of CIA, had actually gone out and had been hacking other databases to get information. I mean, you, if you get the names and inf you know information from the entire stock exchange of Poland, you can manipulate it, you could crash the stock market, television news, same thing, you can manipulate it, you can insert false data. So when I heard from CrowdStrike that the threat that had penetrated the DNC servers, which we had only learned about in April, as soon as I heard it, they said, oh, it was Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear. So I went, whoa, that's Russian intelligence. The same people that pretended to be ISIS and had hacked the, you know, Warsaw and, and Paris. And, the, you know, this is something about us in the intelligence community. We don't care about who, what, when, where. Everything that is true intelligence comes down to assessing the why. Why was this done? Why would you hack the DNC and vacuum cleaner everything for six months to a year? Well, there's only one reason, to affect Watergate. And you did it, do it in a cyber manner. And the only reason to affect Watergate is to get all the intelligence about the opposition and turn it over to the opposing candidate, who at that time was pretty clearly going to be Donald Trump. So by the time Russian intelligence had popped up in early June, with their character, Guccifer 2.0, who was supposed to be the guy who said he was Romanian and was putting out all this stuff he had hacked from the DNC. I was already trying to sound the alarm that, hey, these, this, this is Russian intelligence. They had already done this before. And of course, you know the news media. If you're not part of the club, there's, there's a club of people who are you know, anchors and, yep. and very high-level serious contributors. They don't believe a word you say. And I'm not a reporter. Right. I'm a I'm a I'm a former intelligence officer. I'm a former spy. So, you know, I can only mention things on air uh, that that are opinion at that time. I cannot mention anything that has not been validated. So that burned. And I had been talking about it from early June till 25 July. And by 25 July, it was very clear to me the morning of the, the, convention. the Democratic convention. Yeah. So finally, I, I got the, uh, the green light uh, later that day to, to go on air. Uh, and fun story, this is the first time I had ever really gone on air with Joy Reid. She was sort of filling in the an afternoon anchor uh, seat. And she didn't know what I was there to say. Oh. So all she said was, See. Malcolm, I understand there's something you'd like to say. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes. <laughs> I said, 
I said, yes, the, the, I believe that, you know, the hacking of the Democratic National Committee was a Russian intelligence operation to use information warfare, disinformation, in order to split the Democratic Party right down the middle and in order to elect Donald Trump president. And, and she said, uh-huh. No, she stared at me real hard. And you could just see the wheels turning. And she really got it mm -hmm. because the next day i was on well, air i was at again. the convention mm -hmm. and i have to tell you the effect of that because also they selectively release stuff of course they released you know staffers at the dnc going like we should use bernie's judaism against him and it's like you crazy stupid person at, to think that i mean don't do that but then all the Bernie people go like, oh, man, oh, the DNC that. was going after him. And I go like, Look. do you really think? <laughs> so the Russians are, are, are doing that. And so the, the Bernie people, I think, are still convinced Look. that the DNC. And they I, did things. They did things like the way they scheduled the debates right. was favorable to Hillary. So there was, a, there was enough truth in that. But here's what I want to talk to you about yes, today. Sir. This is I want to get this done. President Trump still keeps saying he doesn't know <laughs> that uh, whether the Russians uh, did this. And, and then uh, part of the Ukraine thing was, uh, no, maybe it was Ukraine. Well, I want to hear from you exactly what the president has heard from our intelligence community. What exactly has the president been told in terms of we know it's the Russians because of this and this and this and this and this that he <laughs> has willfully said, well, I'm not sure. In fact, my second book, The Plot to uh, Destroy Democracy, in there we, I have a very detailed analysis of all of the intelligence that had been known to the news media, including the, the amazing report from Dutch news that the Dutch intelligence cell that was of their version of NSA, that was a joint operation supported by NATO signals intelligence and human intelligence, had managed to hack the security cameras at the Internet Research Agency. That's and the, in St. Petersburg. In St. Petersburg, Russia, and the Russian military intelligence unit, their signals intelligence unit, assigned to Russia's NSA, and had identified the people coming through the door by, by eyesight. So they were using the cameras, Russia's own cameras, hacked it, seen them, then turned that over to CIA and other agencies, or, you know, GCHQ, MI6, and had physically identified them by name, service number, what unit they were assigned to, okay, what kind of this. cookies they, they had. Did they have audio from that? I ain't saying. But okay, because did, did I'm going to go like... Um, there's certain levels of information okay. you, don't, you don't want to get out. But if, is it like, um, is important to hack DNC? <laughs> yeah, we do that tomorrow. <laughs> then we give to WikiLeaks. Then Roger Stone coordinate with Trump. No, no. So we have that. <laughs> no, because that activity was. I would love for the president to have seen that and go like, nope. That activity was strategic. Would have been strategic planning information done between uh, Vladimir Putin and his top five advisors. And in fact, 
February 2016, a news report came out from a crazy blogger uh, using some a bizarre name saying that Putin and his top five advisors had all of Hillary Clinton's emails. This is the this is the source of Donald Trump's oh, belief. Oh, that's him saying release the right thirty thousand and yeah, uh, and find them. This website is still on the internet, and that th- that Putin and his top five advisors, four of whom were KGB, and the fifth was Yevgeny Prigozhin, the guy who ran the Internet Research Agency, Putin's chef, right? Yeah, and let's be clear with the just for everybody what the Internet Research Agency was. This is this place in St. Petersburg, where they did all of this, right? right? Yeah, it was a fake news factory that was an intelligence subcontractor to Russian military intelligence. Wait a they minute, used wait, all a minute. Civilians. It, wait a minute, it was a real fake news yeah. factory. Yeah. So in other words, when you said it was a fake news factory, <laughs> yes. let's just be clear. Yes, it, it was, was a physical, real structure filled with human beings whose sole function there was there to use psychological analysis by Russian intelligence and scholars to micro-target American citizens by pretending to be Americans. And they would manufacture news, they would take up real news and change it, they would just jump on and pretend to be Trump supporters, Bernie supporters, African Americans. Oh, they would uh, find, you know, they could get data on... Uh, what African Americans in Pennsylvania and in Michigan what and they would Wisconsin res- right. who were black who had expressed interest in Black Lives Matter, right? And then pound and pound and pound them right. with super predators or uh, Hillary super predator right. mark. Yeah, and you have to understand. This is why the reason the reason I was so quick to identify this is this isn't a modern cyber warfare operation. This was old school KGB stuff. When using Facebook, using working Twitter. at the speed of the keystroke of, a, of modern social media. The Soviets had studied the United States scholarly for 70 years. They know us. They know us at a level we couldn't possibly imagine. All of Soviet academia was pointed at finding our weaknesses. We didn't have that. If we studied Russia, it'd be like, one guy says, I want to study nesting dolls. These people used the entire strength of the state from 1917 to 1989 to know us as a target. Only when social media allowed the Russian Federation, led by a KGB, ex-KGB officer, to realize, hey, that stuff we could, couldn't do in the 60s, we could have 5,000 people do it in the next five minutes and blanket the United States and have all the credibility and reach of the New York Times, CNN, and, you know, the Washington Post. You know, they, they uh, took ads on Facebook and we had a hearing in the Senate and Judiciary, mm-hmm. and we had the head legal counsel from Facebook. And I noted that many of the ads have been bought in rubles. <laughs> yeah. And I said to him, like, um, you guys, like, brag about having all the data in the world, but you couldn't put rubles <laughs> together together with yeah. Russians and I and and well blah, 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 blah. and I said okay le- do you at least pledge in the future not to take political ads paid for in rubles and he wouldn't do it no of course not that's and, money man and and I went like I, I I kept pressing that and he said well um 
anyone can convert any currency to any other currency. And I went, okay, why would someone convert it to rubles? To come back and buy it in, you know, in dollars. It's I mean, crazy. what are you talking about? And I couldn't get <laughs> the head legal counsel for Facebook to commit not to take ads paid for in rubles. You have to understand something. Political ads. You and I are of a certain age, right? We actually know who Rocky and Bullwinkle are. <laughs> so and we, Boris and Natasha. Boris and Natasha. Boris Badenov and Natasha Fatal. We understand the world within the context of the Soviet Union. The modern world and young kids who are running Google and Facebook, they just think Russia's another market. They don't understand that there's an ideological component to what they're doing and how they're doing it, and that they are still malicious and a strategic opponent, if not well, an enemy, of Putin. the United States. So when they see rubles at Facebook, they're like, dang, we got a bunch more money coming in. When we see rubles, we go... Hey, that's a source coming from essentially a, a strategic competitor or an enemy. Should somebody check that out? No. In the modern world, once once the Russian Federation started, everyone forgot that they were all bad. Not all of them, but that the country's intent was bad. But now they're led by an ex-KGB officer, and they're all like, hey, that's my buddy. Well, I mean, George W. <laughs> looked into his eyes and saw his Booty soul. Poop. Yeah, he saw his soul. Yeah, of course you saw his soul. I mean, this is a guy who's like a dog snarling at you. My favorite picture of the entirety of what I call, you know, Cold War 2.0 here or 1.5 is Obama giving Putin the stare down where he's taller than him and he is literally looking at him like a big boxer who is going to beat this little guy down. And I think Putin, that burned Putin a lot. And Hillary Clinton right. was his executive officer for everything bad against Russia. No, the, he hated Hillary. Oh, There's yeah. no doubt about that. But, okay, let's go back. I yeah. want to hear exactly what President Trump heard from his intelligence people that he had to go like, mm. not convinced. Well, first, first that intelligence from Dutch intelligence, AFI, AVID. Russia, uh, that they were literally watching the front door of the Internet Research Agency and this these two Russian military intelligence units could see the actual individuals log in, go inside, sit at their computers, log in on their computers, and then carry out the activities of that organization. He also, the CIA, this is where the CIA comes in, human intelligence. They had testimony, documents from inside the leadership of that agency that someone in there, at threat of their lives, went into the files, either made those files available online or physically removed them, including showing the entire organization, everyone in their pay charts, who was working on the American project? Who was working on the British project? Who was doing X, Y, and Z? Trump was, was briefed on all of this. Then the Russian military intelligence units, you can actually see the flow of email traffic through all of these internet modes out to dispersal points in the world. And, you know, I worked at the National Security Agency. I'm going to tell you and your listeners something you should be heartened by, despite Edward Snowden. There is nothing we cannot get if it's electronic. NSA is good. 
good looking out for your interest good. They're just normal old folks whose sole function in this world is to make sure you do not get hurt as an American citizen. So when they see this, they will dutifully report this up the chain of command. But you have to understand how the intelligence process works. We collect, it gets analyzed, it gets turned into intelligence product, which is called a report, and then it is briefed to the consumers, which will be, you know, the Secretary of Defense uh, and the President of the United States and National Security Council staff. If they take it and throw it into the burn bag, which is a trash bag that we have, a paper bag, which gets thrown into a furnace at the end of the day and burns everything, that's their job. The American people elected them to ignore that intelligence because the election was for the common sense and good wisdom of whoever won. So so if Donald Trump is beholden financially to Russia, let's say, and he reads it and he goes, oh, my God, they've got the files of my bookie, right, transferring money to Deutsche Bank. Uh, I can't say anything bad about Putin, but this information, if it hits the burn bag, no one will know about it. It will still sit on the computers of the intelligence community, as you know. But Donald Trump can just stop the dissemination of all of that. And we saw last year he did it. Used a top secret computer that was used for CIA most classified secret operations in the United States. For the conversation. To hide an unclassified transcript. transcript. Uh, Let me ask you this. Is there like a code like from the computer that hacked the DNC emails, do we know exactly the computer that did that? That's hard to say because now you're getting into digital forensics, right? I would venture very easily that the United States and our NATO allies like NSA, GCHQ, that they know. Because how do we get, you know, Yevgeny Shmukatelli, you know, or Shmukatov, how do we get Shmukatov's uh, actual passwords and his login and his duty roster and what time he you know what time he logs off from work and cross correlate that to video of him logging in through his cipher lock at that door to where Robert Mueller can put all of that in section one and say, Lieutenant, you know, Shmukatov, operations number blah blah blah, was take responsible for this. Now we that's a never... fake name. It's Putzikov. Right. It's is... Putzikov. No, Putzikov was the night watch oh, guy. Okay, I got you. <laughs> Shmukatov was the day watch and the eve watch guy. And Shmagegi. Shmagegovich. Shmagegovich was. He's eve watch. Yeah. He, he worked the evenings. So everyone's going like, "Thanks a lot, guys," but for the you... information. But I'm telling the reason I'm telling you this is when I wrote <laughs> when I wrote plot to hack America, I literally had to re-engineer, how would they have gotten this information? And I had to go back and develop a watch section roster for how many people would have to be involved in this. Turned out to have been almost 100% accurate on the Russian military intelligence side. The Internet Research Agency side, which was a civilian subcontractor to Russian military intelligence, it turns out they had hundreds of English linguists Whereas I thought they would need 100, they may have had as many as four or 500 working day and night to produce all this fake content. The New York Times actually interviewed some of them as they went out for coffee.
in St. Petersburg. And they were like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. We're doing that. Some really great reporting. Uh, the Washington Post got some of those people. But the problem is all of this intelligence sitting waist high, filling a giant shipping container had to be condensed down to two, three, or four pages to be briefed to the president on a PowerPoint. And he doesn't believe a damn word of it. As an intelligence professional, my first thought is, why would you not believe this? It Now, it can be personal ignorance, because we know he's a, big, very, he's a very ignorant person. Donald Trump is arguably the stupidest man to ever sit in the chair of the president of the United States, without doubt. I would say the most ignorant. Yes, okay. He has some certain kind of intelligence where he knew stuff that I I did not know Mm -hmm. about America. When I saw the first Hillary-Trump debate, I went, oh, thank God. Mm -hmm. This guy is the worst. (laughs) That's the worst performance in a debate I've ever seen. It's all over, thank God. He knew something. He knew something. Donald Trump's intelligence, every predator has a a level of intelligence, right? And that intelligence is simply ground into his DNA. Don't get caught. And that was put in by his father. Don't get caught. And his father was actually a very successful businessman. His only failed venture was loaning Donald Trump $50 million for Trump Airline. The only thing he ever failed in in his life was with Donald Trump. Donald Trump failed in every other thing in his life. But Donald Trump understood one thing. When he did WWE, when he did worldwide wrestling, right? And he would come out and he would play like the billionaire who has a giant check for $10 million. And he would be on the side of the bad guy at the start of the wrestling match. And then the good guy would get in there and would get beaten up and would almost lose within a hair and then win. And at the end, Trump would go, I was wrong. You deserve this money. And the audience would go insane. This is where he learned where his base motivation was. They like a show. This, this is no different from, you know, Nero and, you know, or Tiberius or Caligula and the arena, right? Straight up gladiator stuff. He, he look, he but, has this ability to go out there in front of his crowd and talk off the top of his head for however long he wants to. During the State of the Union address, when yeah. Rush Limbaugh pretended that he didn't know that he was getting the Presidential Medal of yeah. Freedom, the guy has cancer mm-hmm. and you have to feel compassion for him and his family. He Compassion, he never fell for people with AIDS and he mm-hmm. made fun of, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a straight line between Rush and Trump. Oh, yeah. Through Gingrich. But one of the things that both Trump and and Limbaugh have is talent. They have talent. Sure. And it's, you know, it's Limbaugh had uh, created a format called unguested confrontation. Mm-hmm. And he had no guess. Right. He just talked for three hours and he could do it. And Trump can get up there and just try out material. He had, uh, of course, you know, we're going to build a wall. Mexico's going to pay for it. That was just one of the, that was a line that hit and that became a policy and we closed the government sure. down because. But, you know, yeah. his, the the only thing that I can say where he, he shows a level of evil predatory intelligence is understanding that that mob that he's motivating, he knows that they will believe any lie 
they tell him because he has told them what they want to hear and they believe what they want to hear, right? Therefore, 17,000 documented lies mean nothing to them. They know he's lying, winking a nod. He's a good old guy, right? Most fit president in the history of the United States. He's pushing probably 350 pounds, wears size 52 pants. I mean, these people don't care because they have been promised something uh, that no other leader could give them uh, outside of Nazi Germany 1935. And that is a they are being promised that they will be the dominant tribe in America. That 40%, he will only rule for that 40%. The other 60% are those others that we, we shouldn't pay any attention to. This is tribalism, pure and simple. And they respond to that. Their own nation is being destroyed in front of them, their own livelihood. The Constitution doesn't mean anything to them. It means what they're told it means to them. The Constitution is for that tribe only, and everyone else and the laws don't apply to them, and they will reap the benefit of being led by a guy that I've literally had Trump supporters tell me is the strongest, smartest man to have ever sat in the seat of president the United States. And then you realize you can't even use the word crazy, but I can use the word brainwashed because the Trump data team, the Trump campaign and the Russians have all been carrying out an operation that the Russians actually call a uh, reflexive control. And that word was too big for them. So they changed it to perception management. Perception management is where you create an information sphere around your target audience. Russia developed this to take control of like small countries by co-opting the mindset of their population. So they create an information bubble around you that is always based on their information, not your information. And they lead you through co-opted people to not believe in your own information anymore. Therefore, all decisions you make come from the to the benefit of the person who made that information bubble. Trump's information bubble is arguably made by his experience in the WWE and the influence of Vladimir Putin and Russia and the promise of getting billions from the Trump Tower Moscow thing. When he came out of Miss Universe, all he spouted was, was Moscow's party line. And in the intelligence community, we go, why? Why would you suddenly start saying Crimea is a place where they speak Russian and should be on, you know, and Vladimir Putin is showing he's a strong leader? Well, number one, you hate Barack Obama. But number two, someone put that thought in your head because you never said a word about it before, Miss Universe. Was it a combination of naked women and money when you met with the 12 richest oligarchs of Russia for two hours at a dinner? You know what? We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to lighten things up. <laughs> it's been so light already. It's like a super. We're just going to, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be, oh, it's a lot of fun when we come back uh, with Malcolm Nance. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We're back with Malcolm Nance, author of The Plot to Betray America, How Team Trump Embraced Our Enemies, Compromised Our Security, and How We Can Fix It. He's very, very convincing in the book, except for the fixing it. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I think my last words were, we're so screwed. Let's uh, let's talk about Roger Stone. (laughs) What did he do? What did he do? You know, Roger Stone, and and I I outline his whole history in the book, him and Paul Manafort, they ran a lobbying firm known as the the Dictator's Lobby. Oh, right, the Angola. (laughs) Yeah, in the 70s and 80s, they realized, you know who are the underserved on Capitol Hill? Genocidaires, dictators. Everybody needs somebody on K Street. Yeah, well, that's what they were, right? Manafort... uh, uh, and, and Stone were partners in this operation. And Roger Stone started out, as he said, as a, uh, a, one of the quote-unquote rat fuckers. Roger Stone was the commensurate dirty trickster. And he prided himself on doing dirty tricks under the table all the time for Republicans. And gloated. And glo- loved time. it. He bragged about it all the time. So when Paul Manafort was working for Moscow... Uh, by supporting the pro-Moscow Ukrainian president who was literally shooting people in the streets. And Paul Manafort's job was to help him um, keep the anti-democratic movement suppressed and to help what would eventually become the Russian seizure of Crimea by starting anti-NATO protests, including one which involved a squadron of U.S. Marine aviation maintenance people being stoned stoned by a pro-Moscow rally that Paul Manafort had a hand in organizing until they uh, they were actually under siege for a day by mobs of pro-Moscow Crimeans. So this is the kind of dirty tricks they organized. Okay, so let's go to Stone during the campaign and what he has been convicted of and what uh, the president thinks is a travesty and said so yesterday in a press conference. And, in fact, why don't we play that? I thought the recommendation was ridiculous. I thought the whole prosecution was ridiculous. And I look at others that haven't been prosecuted, or I don't know where it is now, 
But when you see that, I thought it was an insult to our country, and it shouldn't happen. And uh, we'll see what what goes on there. But uh, that was a uh, that was a horrible aberration. Uh, these are the I guess the the same Mueller people that put everybody through hell, and uh, I think it's a disgrace. Okay, so he's talking about the sentence uh, for. Uh, Roger Stone and the aberration that he's talking about was a combination of an aberration and an apparition, and the apparition uh, was Roy Cohen. I think <laughs> so. I, that's all I could figure out that he's just his mind is going a mile a minute. Anyway, so uh, so what was he convicted of? Roger Stone was convicted of um, lying to Congress. Because when he gave his testimony before Congress, he lied about his involvement with the data that was coming from WikiLeaks and going to the Trump campaign. He just, of course, nothing ever happened, and I never passed on anything, and I didn't know anything about WikiLeaks. And all of that testimony was a lie. He had sat down, swore, and essentially perjured himself before Congress. Uh, and so uh, is lying, is, what's the big deal, lying well, to Congress? I mean, really, why would you get sentenced? to prison for just lying to Congress. Yeah, well, there are these things called laws. And mm -hmm. apparently... I'm writing this down, otherwise I'll forget <laughs> it. Sure, shouldn't. There's a schoolhouse rock about how they're formed. Uh, and these oh, and that's completely the way, the way it works. <laughs> I'm sure. By the and way, I've been in the Senate. All you have to do is see that. I'm <laughs> just a bill. So... These laws that Roger Stone violated, Congress took very seriously. You might recall some of them were filed in articles of impeachment against Bill Clinton for perjury and lying to Congress. So uh, they were very, very serious then. And so this Congress, when Roger Stone came before them and lied, um, the Justice Department and the FBI saw it as a crime. Another thing that he was convicted of was witness campering. You might recall that he had a very, very contentious relationship with the judge, Judge Judy Berman. She would come out and say, don't say anything to anybody. You have a, you know, you have a gag order on this. And he would come out and he'd start tweeting things. His in intent in some of these activities that he was doing was to make sure that other people that were listening, I'm talking to you, Paul Manafort, who was also in his other trial, would not actually come in and tell the truth themselves so that got him into hot water he has been convicted of it and now the guideline sentencing guidelines were to give him seven to nine years in a real big boys prison yeah and the justice department now has backed off and Barr has backed off and the prosecutors have resigned because of this yep, top four prosecutors and this is like a real crime and this guy has been a bad guy forever and has gloated about it and bragged about it. And, about it. and this is the kind of the Roy Cohn school. Now you know what it's like when, you know, the Penguin becomes mayor of Gotham. You can't, you, there is the, the, the criminals can't be convicted of crimes anymore because the mayor says they're no longer crimes. Donald Trump refuses to believe in law. And, you know, Don, I believe it was uh, Thomas Jefferson who said the definition of tyranny is when the, the laws apply to the common man and they don't apply to the government. Well, I guess we're in a tyranny. Yeah, and what I love about all of this is uh, Susan Collins. Susan Collins saying... I'm disappointed in her. I'm not. I know Susan <laughs> Collins, and this is very consistent with Susan Collins. 
But so she says, well, I'm going to vote for acquittal because uh, he's learned his lesson. And then he immediately says, there's no lesson. I, it was a perfect phone call. Mm -hmm. I call it a perfect call. I always will call it a perfect call. Uh, and it wasn't one call. It was two calls. There were two perfect calls. And let's talk about Vinman. And that's chilling to have him walked out. But, okay, he did that. His brother? Yeah. That is Stalin. That is going after somebody's family because you don't like what they did, which was tell the truth. It was not a perfect phone call. We know it was another perfect phone call. We know what was there. He was shaking down the leader of another country to get him. During the impeachment trial, I was texting my former colleagues on the Democratic side and saying, can you just ask this to the White House counsel? Can you give us any evidence that Donald Trump has ever been interested in corruption, and by that I mean being against it. It was very frustrating watching this at home. Right. Because their whole thing was, you know, he is really concerned about corruption in Ukraine. That's why he went, did this on Burisma and why they were... Really? Yeah. He was concerned about corruption in the Ukraine. He was concerned that his corrupt henchman paul manafort because this is where all all of this actually comes back to paul manafort manafort is a convicted felon who was in prison i, I think for what like eight years or something along that lines i think he might have a longer sentence i'm wondering why why he just didn't make a deal and i'm thinking either he's thinking of a pardon or he's scared to death of the russians i think there are another factor in there Ooh, I want to hear this. Manafort one. was Russia's man in the Ukraine. Okay? And one of the components of the study of Paul Manafort that I'd done in my two books was the the part that has never been reported on, the counterintelligence aspects of all of this. That's US FBI and CIA and agencies spy hunting, determining whether they were actually intelligence assets of the Russian Federation. Paul Manafort is as close to a subcontractor right where you actually have a contract where you actually get money but it came through the government the pro moscow ukrainian government and uh, by the way when you think of ukraine think of ukraine as a schizophrenic nation most of it wants to be in nato and western and having a good old time then there's this small part that wants to return back as a component of russia and are loyal to putin trump manafort stone all of them are placing their bet, Giuliani, and are saying that all of these people in the pro-Moscow camp, including that that prosecutor, right, Evgeny Shokin. That, that the, Biden that, wanted to get rid of because he world, was corrupt. The whole world wanted rid of him. I mean, the World Bank was like, we're not going to give you any more money. The IMF, the European Union, NATO, the government of Ukraine, <laughs> the people of Ukraine, and they said, and Trump comes back and goes, I heard he was a great guy. He, the reason and, all... And the White House counsel were actually arguing like... Right. Biden wanted to get rid of this prosecutor who is pro looking at Burisma. And it's like, oh, man. No. no. Man. This is man. all about supporting a strategic plan 
that comes from Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin believes Ukraine is part of the former Soviet Union that should be part of the Russian Federation. All of the ethnic Russians and Russian speakers in Ukraine who are pro-Moscow buy into that. They ran the government for a little bit. Manafort was one of their paid assets. He took millions of dollars and then got and we convicted got some for money laundering. It. We, yeah. You know, that's another thing. Is Made like, a profit off that. Like, like actually... You know, the, the Republicans, uh, Mueller pay, spent $33 million. We actually, did we make a profit? Yeah, I think we made something like $40 million. I mean, we cut it. We cut a Because we got profit. Manafort's money. We got his uh, money. That he, did, he, that was he, laundered. A, he was a money launderer. All that money was dirty money coming that okay, was stolen from which, the government. Speaking of which, speaking right. of which, because I know you write about this, hmm. Compromat. And let's talk about money. I have, my feeling is that quite apart from being concerned about corruption uh, in, in terms of being against it, that Donald Trump is corrupt. Every thought he has is about money is corrupt. Yeah. Sure. And has been. Do they have him by the ads on this? Because of all the money they've laundered through him, buying apartments, in, uh, what do they got on him? What do you know? Well, what I know is only the, the, the unclassified open data that we have. But looking at it through my perspective, which is an intelligence perspective, it comes out as very damning. I mean, we do this against our own people to determine if our people are spies, right? Are you compromised by a foreign power? So what we do is we scrub your background. So let's scrub Donald Trump's background really quickly. The first time Donald Trump, now this is where we're going to go old school, back to the KGB world, right? James Bond, evil villain, Soviet Union world. The first time Donald Trump pops up, the first time Donald Trump pops up on the Russians' radar, the radar of the Soviet Union and the KGB, their intelligence agency, it started in 1977 when he married Ivana Trump. She was a Slovenian citizen, I mean, a citizen of the Czech Republic at that time, the People's Democratic Republic of Czechoslovakia, right? And it was under Soviet control. And their intelligence agency, the STB, the, the, the Czech uh, National Intelligence Agency, was a subordinate agency of the Soviet KGB. From 1977 until the mid 80s, they surveilled every communication she had with her parents and all communications he had with her that were available to the parents. And the reason that we know this is Build Magazine and a Czech uh, television studio called Czech 24 found all the printed, typewritten reports on Donald Trump two years ago. But most of them were, you know, dear mom and dad, uh, Donald is so great with the kids. Uh, uh, yeah. He's, uh, you know, he just took junior to his basketball game and uh is getting ivanka plastic surgery yeah well this data that <laughs> this data that we that i made myself laugh you would you would call innocuous data day in day out collection turns into a psychological profile of your target there's two reasons the soviet union wouldn't want to go after you one to get access to your money into the u.s market and two the one that they always did with every American that came up on their radar, uh, they would determine 
whether they could turn you into a working asset, a spy, or someone who would help them and betray their own government. You have to understand this at the same time that all this is going on. Vladimir Putin is a baby spy in Dresden, Germany. Uh, last year, I went to his office there and I sat down and I absorbed the spyism of Vladimir Putin. He was the new guy in the office, so the big fat old guys didn't want to do anything. So they sent him out to flip all the young men who were coming over to meet hot East German girls and turn them into spies. He became a com commensurate spy handler. And that was his job. And it's a great job. And right up until he became a, a junior lieutenant colonel in the, so in the KGB, he loved it. And then the Soviet Union collapsed. But during that time, Donald Trump from 77 to 87 was under the surveillance of Czech intelligence, a.k.a. the subordinate agency of the KGB. All those reports went to Moscow. Then Donald Trump in the mid-80s decides he wants to go to the Soviet Union. And he wants to go see if he can do a Trump Tower deal in Moscow. And because at that time, Glasnost was happening, right? The great yep. opening to the West. And Trump became fascinated with the popular cultural figure of the time, Mikhail Gorbachev, the head of the Soviet Union who was opening up Russia. And Trump wanted to be involved in the negotiation, I'm not joking, of the nuclear weapons talks between Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan. He took out a full-page ad saying, make me the START Treaty, the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, negotiator, and I'll get you a better deal. He saw himself as this you know, big because player. because he can get really into the verification details. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh so God. Trump goes to the Soviet Union. By the way, he also went to the Czech Republic under full surveillance of the STB and the KGB. He goes to the Soviet Union. Of course, anyone who goes to the Soviet Union is under the control of their tourist agency called InTourist. InTourist was a branch of the KGB. The sole function was to guide you around, make sure you didn't stray from the pack. And while they were there, they would figure out, you know, what are your sexual proclivities? What are your orientation? Is there something we could do to get you to turn and become an agent for to the West? So Trump was shepherded around by a Russian intelligence agency. Trump comes back, can't make a deal, drops off the radar, the Soviet Union collapses, and then crazy quantities of stolen Russian money, billions upon billions, starts flowing into the West from things that they had stolen from the Soviet Union when it collapsed. And Trump starts taking an interest in them again in the early 2000s because they're buying every spare piece of real estate in the world because it's dirty money. That money needs to be turned into an asset that you can sell again. They bought real estate. My, I mean, London, Paris, uh, you know, New York, Miami, Russians everywhere spending that crazy money. Would it help to get his uh, income taxes? Well, yes, it would. Because then you would determine who bankrolled you when no bank in the world would loan you money except Deutsche Bank. And who would underwrite Deutsche Bank's loan because... Banks don't just loan you money because you're a good guy and because, you know, you, you, you've got a, uh, you know, a, a, a wife and kids and all that. No, someone has to back your loan. And Donald Trump, it's believed, was backed by Russian oligarchs at the direction of Vladimir Putin because they needed a conduit to launder okay, their money. But you said it's but believed. So I just, now, just want to cut the man a break. I mean, yeah, okay. everybody... This is what's uh, believed. And I mean, you don't have to believe me. Believe his son, who actually said, 
a, a large majority of our oh, that's it, right. of our organization's <laughs> money comes from Russians. And because it's apartments. Don't forget, he also had that deal where he bought a $40 million mansion yes. in Palm Beach and then flipped it to one of the richest oligarchs in Russia for $90 million, right. a $50 million profit. That is suspicious. Look, whenever we're, we're going and they're looking, this is human intelligence. Whenever you're looking at trying to recruit somebody, you have to find out what's his key. Donald Trump's key was money. Now, when you're, you know... The only question is, how much money do I need to buy you, to buy your loyalty, to buy your faith? Remember how I talked about the Soviet Union studying us for 70 years? All those files and records about Donald Trump, they didn't just get thrown into the trash. The KGB just changed their letters to FSB. You know, in fact, a guy actually came down with a screwdriver and took off the K and G and put up F and S. All those records and files exist. There are intelligence officers analyzing them. But one day, the top spy of Russia, Vladimir Putin, ex-KGB officer, had to have been briefed that Donald Trump, who was coming to Miss Universe, was the kind of American that we could manage. Putin is sitting in his chair. He's listening to all this, and he, he hears that in 2012... The, the day that Mitt Romney lost to Barack Obama, he had tweeted that there should be a revolution in Washington and they should take back Washington. The first person to DM him on Twitter, and DM means you guys have to have a link together, right? You have to follow each other, was a Russian oligarch who said, Donald, we are ready to back you. Donald Trump tweets a picture of him giving him the thumbs up, and one week later he registers Make America Great Again Pack. 2014, this actually had to have happened. That's very suspicious. Yes. But the Internet Research Agency was stood up in September of 2014, two months before Miss Universe pageant, two months after the first meeting where they settled that Donald Trump would be doing the Miss Universe pageant. Now... In the intelligence community, you don't start shoveling out money and establishing intelligence operations overnight. It takes months of planning. And for them to have started in September of 2014, before Miss Universe, they gave this a lot of thought. And I believe this conversation happened. I'm Vladimir Putin. Putin is sitting there and they're like, Donald Trump's coming to do this. Uh, you know, Barack Obama is going to be out the new election is going to come in 2014. And they say, who's working in our interest? Who really looks in our interest? And someone said, you know, Vladimir Vladimirovich, this Donald Trump guy, as early as 1987, he's, he's laundering all our money, he's buying stuff. But as early as 1987, he said that he wanted to run against George Herbert Walker Bush, which they knew because Ivana Trump had called her father and had told them that. They knew before the American press knew that he wanted to run for president against Bush, right? And, of course, that's all down to KGB archives. Now, if I'm an ex-KGB spy master, I'm going to go, go to the archives, bring me everything on Donald Trump. Brings everything up. A briefing team of human intelligence officers and intelligence psychologists start looking at him, and they say, how do we handle this asset, this guy, to make him an asset? And they probably said, well, don't worry about it. He's already an asset. He's been begging for our money forever. The first way you recruit a person is dangle money in front of them. 
the dangle happened at Miss Universe when he had a, that private dinner at the Nobu restaurant with the 12 richest men in Russia, including a representative of Vladimir Putin. When he came out of that meeting, these are the first things he said. Trump Tower Moscow is getting built. And from that day on, he only spouted Moscow's version of their foreign policy. He adored Vladimir Putin. He, he actually said about Barack Obama, Vladimir Putin is a far stronger leader than Barack Obama, who's weak and feckless. Right? For three years, he did that. Now, in the intelligence community, we lean back and we go, you are a moron before you walk through that door. You couldn't spell Moscow or Russia. You went there. You've got a history that goes over 20 years where you were under their surveillance. And now you're walking out of a meeting spouting the party line of Moscow. Why? And the only answer is simple. They bought you. Or you have sold yourself because you think their interest is your interest. Donald Trump sees Russia as an equal partner, if not Vladimir Putin, as a replacement for his father, a strong leader who will just kill whoever gets in his way. And Trump is, is admires that, but he admires more the potential money he could get that supersedes Wait. loyalty to the Constitution and the flag. Malcolm, I've been I've been letting you you speak, and I know that you know I'm thinking of listeners may be going like, well, gee, that's a lot of stuff to put together to come to that conclusion. This is the guy who wrote the book saying <laughs> that the Russians were hacking us, and came out came out with the book before the 2016 election. I've done books; it takes a while to write the book. It takes a while to get it published and get. Printed. It takes a while to print it. So listen to this guy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Malcolm. Well, I could just say one last thing, mm. um, because we, we didn't talk about the most important part of my book, which was the fact that we are coming up on quite arguably the last election in American history. We are, I'm not joking. Um, uh, when I do my analyses, I, I base it on everything that, that you know, history. Um we could lose the United States this November. I live in a rural area of upstate New York where Trump flags fly everywhere. And flags. Barns are painted up where I'm at with the word Trump on the side. Again, this falls back to a level of tribalism. He is now the leader of their Viking tribe. And what he doesn't want is he doesn't want any incursion of thought coming into that anywhere else we would have said this was a form of cultism jim jones oh you know david koresh in which the leader is always infallible it's why he loves kim jong-un in north korea loves him he loves him says he loves him and it's an experiment in showing that he can convince his people that whatever he says is correct and good and right my question is, when he kisses Nazis and he sucks up to the Ku Klux Klan and this turns into, um, you know, a choice between the Constitution in the United States as it's existed and Trumpism, they will choose Trumpism because he will say it is the Constitution. I am America. And that is where we are all standing into danger. 
Thank you, you know, Mal. <laughs> but they say, thank you, Al, for allowing me to come here and pontificate with you a little bit. Uh, you know, but I hope the listeners do save democracy this November. I, I love do too. America. I do too. And, uh, you know, part of that is, I mean, the number one is defeating Donald Trump. And uh, whoever is the nominee, we got to get behind. I mean, that's, that, let that be uh, the end note. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.